Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Career HQ podcast. Today, I'm talking to my friend, Blake Thorne. Blake is a content marketer turned product marketer. And as you may already know, one of the things I'm hoping to accomplish with this podcast is just to give content folks some ideas on directions that their career might go. You might go into management, you might start your own business. You might want to kind of remain an individual contributor, but grow in that direction. But for some folks, it actually makes sense to stay within marketing, but to pivot, to focus on a different specialty. And that's exactly what Blake and I talk about here. I found this to be a really interesting conversation. To be honest, I don't really know that much about product marketing and Blake opened my eyes to a lot of really cool things and gave me some stuff to think about for sure. If nothing else, educating yourself about product marketing is going to make you a better content marketer. So for that reason alone, it's worth taking the time to listen to this episode. So I will get out of the way. Here is my friend, Blake Thorne, product marketing manager at Atlassian. Hey, Blake, how are you? Hey, Jimmy, what's up? Interestingly, we were connected by Walter Chen, who's kind of like sort of weirdly at the center of almost every content marketing relationship I've made over the last five or six years. Yeah, he's the super connector. It's like the Walter verse. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> Among many things I would love to chat with you about today, one key one is your own transition from journalism to content marketing to product marketing. And you got there in kind of an interesting way. Can we just dive into that? Like, Tell us a little bit about like what your kind of journey in content slash marketing has been. Yeah, for sure. Like you said, I started in journalism. I did about five or six years in print newspapers in Michigan, right after college and all throughout college was the typical like college newspaper nerd up late at the uh, office of the college paper, putting pages and, and articles together. And yeah, I did some freelancing and intern stuff in college as well. And, you know, Always loved writing, storytelling, reporting, sort of looked out at the next 30, 40 years of my career and the state of print media at the time and, and decided, you know, maybe that wasn't, <laughs> wasn't a journey I wanted to, to stick with, but there was this, uh, this was 2015. So content marketing, this sort of like modern era of content marketing, thanks in no small part to companies like I done this and Walter and the crew over at Buffer and certainly HubSpot, certainly making like modern content marketing a really new, exciting field. So yeah, somehow connected with Walter and wound up at I done this, did another small startup called Status Page as head of content there as well. And then we were acquired by Atlassian. This was 2016, summer 2016. And I took the opportunity to be a product marketing manager and work in product marketing after the transition to Atlassian, which was not a role I had ever done before and frankly didn't really know what I was getting into, but just sort of dove in head first. And yeah, it's been a great ride ever since. I wouldn't recommend that that strategy. Just like hope you're acquired and the new company wants you to be a product marketer. Like <laughs> <laughs> might not be super replicable for someone else. But uh, yeah, I definitely have some thoughts on if someone wants to make that transition. I think it's been great. And I definitely have some thoughts on like how folks could do that if that's something they're interested in. Yeah, yeah. We should dive into that. So you're at status page and then you find out the company's acquired. And next thing you know, you're like off to the Bay Area. Yep. Doing the whole like Silicon Valley thing. I mean, what, what was that like? It was pretty crazy. I mean, I don't think I fully up until that point, like I'd worked at small startups, but never fully grokked like the, the whole Silicon Valley startup ecosystem thing. Atlassian had just gone public 
the end of the year before that. So that was a pretty established company at the time, but the startups I'd been with were great companies that were sort of like profitable and doing their thing without like schmoozing up to venture capitalists and, you know, raising these mega, mega rounds of funding. We were almost more like small businesses with, with I done this and status page. Right. And then even at Atlassian, like that's been a lot of the ethos as well. So it's been a good perspective because I, I feel like I never got too entrenched in the the tech bro scene and and worked at these really great businesses that, you know, had a pretty good head on their shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Atlassian sort of interesting. Well, Atlassian is interesting for many reasons, but for sure. One of them is that they've from the very early days embraced this idea of no sales. Mm. So the company and all of the products, which includes Jira, Bitbucket, Trello, among uh, status page, uh, among others. I, I don't even. For sure. Yeah. I think we have like more than a dozen total, 14 or so now. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, they've embraced this. Well, they've embraced marketing mm-hmm. to almost an extreme degree because they had this kind of like no, no sales ethos. But a key part of that, I would imagine, is product marketing because you have the products have to basically sell themselves. For sure. And that was, like you said, a, a big part of the ethos, especially early on. And we've certainly like a, like a lot of, you know, enterprise companies and, and product led growth companies, you, you sort of mature to a point where it's like, okay, we're not going to be dogmatic about no sales because I don't think the point was ever no sales. I think the point was always, what can we get do that's going to be a delightful experience for the customer? And how can we get the right tools in front of the right people at the right time? And a big part of that was out of necessity. So our founders were still are in Sydney, Australia. That's sort of home base and where Atlassian was founded. It's pretty hard to get on a sales call with someone in New York City if you're in Sydney, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so sort of by necessity there. And it's it's also, it's pretty hard to, you know, hire a bunch of salespeople who might have experience in the Bay Area if you're in Sydney. So a lot of that was out of necessity early on. And we've been able to sort of augment our go-to-market motion with a really smart sales touch in recent years, which has been super exciting to see too. Right. Well, that's, I guess eventually it starts to make a ton of sense, especially as you grow into 14 or 15 products. Like mm-hmm. once you make an entry point into a business, there's a lot of opportunity to expand into other products, that kind of thing. For sure. For sure. And, you know, organizations and you saw this like other product like growth companies like Slack, where you reach some certain scale and then it makes sense for central IT or procurement compliance to come in and work sort of more one-to-one with our teams to to just make sure that they're having the best experience that they can at scale. Right, right. You published an article on Medium just this morning, which is called Head of Product Content is the Missing Role on Your Marketing Team. And I'd love to chat about that. And I'll also, I'll make sure I link to it. For sure. One of the things you say in that article is that, that folks ask you about your transition from content marketing to product marketing. And you feel like uh, maybe like your, your story is almost like a little disappointing to people. Like it wasn't as dramatic as it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. I sometimes think when people ask that question, they're expecting some like, like more of a, uh, <laughs> more of like an epic uphill battle behind that. And then sometimes I, I feel a little guilty about, you know, the reality, which was I came into product marketing and really felt like, okay, like I have, I have the sort of core tools that I need for this role. There's other things I'll have to learn and augment with and sort of adjust the way, the way I do work. But like I say in the piece, I think the core skills and foundations for a product marketer are writing and storytelling. And that's the same with content marketing for sure as well. I think someone who's who's great at one can can certainly excel at the other. Right. 
So when you, you get to Atlassian and you make this transition, like, did you walk into a pretty robust product team already? You know what I mean? Or was that a, a new initiative? Like I'm imagining for some folks, it's like a lot of content marketers probably do a little bit of product marketing just because they might work at a small company. And that's for sure. You know, if you can, like at a lot of companies, if you can write, you end up doing anything that involves writing, but you know, because it's a larger company, did you walk into like a pre-existing infrastructure that kind of helped you figure your way around? Yeah, that's a good point. And I also would say like, I think that a lot of, it sort of depends like sort of what comes first, the content marketer or the product marketer. And I think there are a lot of, especially startups now where, product marketers are winding up doing a little bit of content marketing because there might be a there might even be a product marketing hire first. I feel like I'm seeing more and more startups where a product marketer is one of the early marketing hires in the door. And I would think some of that is due to some of what you were saying about the success of companies like Atlassian, Slack, Salesforce with with marketing and strong product marketing in particular. So it definitely is a different ecosystem though to come into that. I would say the the bigger shifts were more around just what it was like to go from marketing team of one to an entire ecosystem of teams of teams and teams within teams and things that might have been something that was five minutes of my week or you know something I didn't even think about was suddenly something you had a whole team to work with on. Wow. So that can be great. Yeah, yeah. One of the other things you talk about in that piece is that there are certain products that I think the ones you named were uh, maybe Photoshop or some other Adobe products. You talked about Excel and like, there's almost for sure. What is it? Like it's, it's easier for products like that to invest in product marketing because you just, in order to use the tool, which are well-known, well-respected, incredibly useful, you just have to educate people on how to do it. Mm-hmm. But there's, there's a similar thing like in recent years where there's kind of a wave of products that emerged that people just liked. They, they just, found the products interesting. And again, it made it easy for folks to educate the users around the product itself. I'm thinking of like the notions, the air tables, certainly the Trellos of the world where like the product is now front and center versus mm-hmm. HubSpot 10 years ago, where it's like product isn't incredibly interesting, but they had a very interesting marketing strategy. <laughs> like that was the thing that was so cool. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now other types of products, it seems like are kind of leaning into some of the things that, that we see from Adobe, Excel, mm-hmm. Notion, Airtable, Trello, et cetera. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. I haven't I haven't thought of some of those that way, but you're absolutely right. And I would say that another big shift is the way, well, with okay, with product-led growth companies, especially like end users are so much more hands-on with the product and the ability for someone who's going to, there's less of the asymmetry between the people making the buying decisions and the people actually being hands-on with the products oh, every day. That's interesting. Yeah. That really adjusts the way that teams build products and approach the market, you know, sort of pre Atlassian. And, and one of the, th- the sort of core beliefs our founders had was that we were going to build great products for end users. And we were going to delight the folks aim to the delight, the folks actually hands-on with the product every day in a lot of ways that sounds sort of like commonplace today, but it's easy to forget. It wasn't too long ago, a couple decades ago, seventies, eighties, nineties, certainly where a lot of enterprise software was not only ugly and, and hard to use, it was really hated by, you know, the end users and the folks inside these teams. 
who had to use it, but by and large, they didn't have much of a choice. This was expensive on-prem software that IT teams had to install on their own servers and pay big expensive contracts for and pay these big upfront you know, service and maintenance fees for. So teams were pretty bought in and switching was extremely hard. So right. there was way less emphasis on things like design, user experience, delight, how the, you know, if you're IT software, like what does the, what does the junior agent feel? You know, what does the person getting their hands dirty, opening and closing and resolving tickets for folks every day? What's their experience like? Those days, there wasn't as much of that. It was a lot more, this is the VP of sales and they've got some relationship with the CIO and they're going to go play golf and chomp on cigars and right. buy software and who, you know, maybe, maybe both of them don't even really know how to use it, but who cares? And they don't care as much about, you know, the end users anyway, it's more about maybe good price and relationships and, you know, kind of an old school, more sleazy style uh, sales tactics. And yeah, it's, it's been awesome to work for companies like Atlassian and to see just like the evolution of product led growth, where there's so much more democratization of, among the end users and the folks inside the companies who have the power to think about being on a team and being able to like go to Airtable and put your credit card in and you know sign your team up for a plan and try it out for a couple months like that's pretty astounding considering where the software and experience was just a couple decades ago yeah 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 it's led to like you said a lot of those products being better experience, more design focused, more user experience focused. Right. This term product-led growth is one that has only ended up on my radar pretty recently. And in fact, recently I heard someone say PLG and I was like, are we that far along yet? But it's so common or am I just that far behind? Like, is that in your world, is that, is that the hot thing right now? Like, is that something that's talked about a lot? It kind of is. It kind of is. And it's going to be super interesting to see it's going to be super interesting to see like how this term works or like if it sticks around. It's probably, I'm not the expert. It's probably only a couple years old. There's a couple folks, institutions in particular. There's a super smart guy named Wes Bush who runs, I think it's called the Product Led Institute. He wrote a book about product led growth, literally wrote a book about it and like does like training and has this like great website with resources. So shout out to Wes because he's really championed this. And there's a, actually a VC firm, I think out of Boston and- OpenView, right? OpenView, yeah. And this, another Blake, actually, uh, this guy, Blake Bartlett, who is, who's really like uh, championing product-led growth. And yeah, there's a ton of other folks talking about it, but those two in particular. And when I first heard the term, I sort of, especially coming from Atlassian and like knowing all the hard work we did to like make self-serve a thing, I sort of worried that like, oh, product-led growth is just someone like rebranding self-serve or sort of like polishing the edges off of it because you notice it's like product-led growth is sort of like softer than, you know, saying like no sales. And you talk to folks like right. Wes and Blake and they won't say it's no sales. So then it's sort of like, well, what is it then if it's not self-serve and it's not no sales and it's... So I wouldn't be the one to, you know, expert to define it, but I just think it's really interesting because... And I've, I've sort of come around on the term because you do see companies like Atlassian, Slack, where it's like, like we talked about, like eventually you get to some scale where it's like, okay, like we're going to, you know, we're going to bring sales in and, and augment our go-to-market motion. 
with a super smart sales team and do it in a super smart way. And by and large, talk to folks who know our products, have used our products, are already familiar with the value that we can unlock for their teams. And now we're going to sort of like introduce sales as this like this later on experience that that can help folks either expand or get more value out of what they're already using. Right. So and I think that's why like something like product-led growth makes sense as a term, because if you just say self-serve, like you don't account for that, the important role sales can play in it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's something to the, to the philosophy of like something about the term self-serve sounds like the onus is on the user to do the work and figure it out. Whereas like product-led growth sounds like the responsibility really is on the company to make sure the product is good enough that folks want to sign up and have an easy time getting going. For sure. For sure. One of the things you mentioned in this post is um, just an observation that some companies, I think probably less, fewer companies than, it used, than used to do this, but their content teams have almost like an aversion to talking about the product. Yeah. I wonder like when you kind of officially made the switch, was it like, was it a relief to be able to just talk about the product and not have to wonder like, am I being too promotional? You know, like, should I stick to, should I try to be product agnostic as I explain this thing in this content? Yeah. You know, it's hard to revisit like what my perspective was at the time, but I, I think, I think maybe I didn't buy the product agnostic, drink the product agnostic Kool-Aid too much, even as a content marketer. And I think that's valuable perspective too. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's anything to do with your journalism background? Maybe just in the sense that like, once I left journalism, like I knew I was in marketing. I was, you know, like when you're a journalist, like you, you, you're very aware of like what a, what a company or organization's intentions are when dealing with the press and a big fear for any journalist or like a big sort of thing you're aware of is like, you don't want to be like the PR, you know, apparatus of any company. Like you don't want to be like, you're not working for your sources or you're supposed to be more of a objective counterpart. And and most journalists like work really hard to do that. So the minute marketing was in my title, I was just like, dude, I'm a marketer. Like, (laughs) yeah, that's interesting. You know, like I, I had no misgivings about like, Oh, I'm, I'm still this like sort of altruistic artist. And like, I shun commercial things. I'm, I sort of, (laughs) I'm too like, uh, I have too much integrity for that. Like, no man, like you take someone who was a journalist for five plus years and put marketing on their business card. (laughs) You know what your job is, right? Definitely. That's funny. Actually, there was a very early episode of this podcast. I talked to a woman named Danielle White and she, uh, came from a journalism background and described the office that she worked in was all journalists. And then there was a separate building where the ad sales people worked. Like she didn't even know them. Yep. And then had a similar experience to you where it was like, well, once we're in, we're in. Like now it's all one thing. Yep. So that's, it's an interesting part of, I mean, we could do a whole different podcast on the, you know, the way journalism and, and institutions traditionally were set up like that. But that was a big part of the sort of culture of, not just her in my newsroom, everyone really, every newspaper. It might not have always been a different building. I worked places where it was a different floor, but the idea, like you intentionally did not blend with the folks who sold ads, right? Like that was, you didn't sit next to them. You didn't care what their quotas were. And it's interesting to work now and on the business side of a business and in content where it's like, collaborate with everyone and know the business and know the numbers. Like, as a journalist in a newspaper, like the worst thing you could say is like, 
this story I write is going to help us sell more ads. Like, <laughs> you would be in like such a deep trouble you would, for saying that. And the sort of idea behind that was you didn't want to like color your objectivity because otherwise you might be, you, you didn't want to like risk creating a product that was influenced by anything other than editorial standards. Right. Right. So I think that's, that's why I, I didn't feel that way when I came into marketing, but I do wonder if that's where some of that product agnostic ethos with sort of like what I might call like inbound 1.0, like where that came from. Because a lot of this, like, like I say in this piece was um, that sort of first wave of inbound marketing and content marketing was around this idea of like, hey, let's be our own media company. Like let's hire a writer, start a blog. Anyone can do that for free. Like these traditional barriers to entry for creating content and, and getting an audience are effectively free on the internet. So why do we keep, you know, buying advertisements at the local radio station or, you know, in our local newspaper when we can build that awareness and audience for ourselves online? So I think that might have been where a lot of that, that sort of product agnostic ethos came from. Right. That's interesting. Can I throw one of my impressions about product marketing at you and you can tell me if it's accurate or not? Yeah. Okay. So I think of content marketing as a mission to get folks to say MQL. And that's kind of where it ends. Mm -hmm. Product marketing kind of crosses the pre-sale, post-sale threshold where like, not only is there an opportunity to educate folks who have never tried the product, but there's also an opportunity to try to get them through a free trial and into a product and maybe through onboarding. And if they're only using, if a new Trello user you know, created one board, but hasn't touched it, that product marketing is at least partially responsible for helping them catalyze more activity there. Is that, is that accurate or inaccurate? <laughs> That's partially both. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, I would say what's missing there is like the core thing product marketing is going to do that you won't see content or really any other function own is just like, what is the story of the product? And like, how do we talk about it? that gets down to literally like what words are on, on the landing page and in the ads. But like, you know, that's sort of like the end result of that, but more fundamentally is like, what do we say about this? Do we say this is a CRM that competes with Salesforce or do we say it's a visual workflow engine or do we call it something else? Like what does, you know, like, and it's not just what are the words, but like, what is the market where, we're going after and what are they looking for and, and how do we how do we actually talk about this thing and how is that how are we going to sort of set that messaging up in a scalable way that can be spun off into you know billboards and ad copy and landing page copy and tweets and email copy and, and everything right right do you work across a number of different products at Atlassian or do you specialize in in one or a handful I'm in one product right now. I'm in a, I'm on a product called uh, Jira Service Management right now. I can't speak to how other organizations are are ran, but we have product marketers assigned to specific products at Atlassian. I think that's pretty common for like for any company that has multiple products where you see more cross-functional or cross-product marketing functions, I should say, is like more channel-oriented teams. Like we have a performance marketing team who does a ton of stuff with paid ads and, you know, 
ads on Google and Facebook and stuff like that. We have an events team that puts on our user conferences and manages all the all the events we we host and attend. We have an SEO team that works on sort of technical SEO as well as kind of helping serve content SEO needs. Most of those teams will work across, you know, work with product marketers across the company. And then it's the product marketer who will work with like the product team on that specific product. Got it. Got it. Could I offer you two different scenarios here and get some insight on on each? I'm thinking of a small startup where maybe there is a content person who's covering for product because the company's just not large enough that they have a dedicated person or team to do that. Mm-hmm. Like what advice might you offer that person? Mm-hmm. And then also like when I was at QuickBooks, we had a content team. I assume there was a product team. I don't, the company was so big that I don't even know who they were or exactly what they were working on. Like, what advice might you offer to that person? Okay, so for the first person is working in a startup on content and want to help with with some of the product marketing, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I think you know one easy thing that a content marketer can do, especially I think if you have some if you have some SEO chops, if you're writing for search right now, if you're sort of trying to tap into like what are the topic, you know, doing the kind of typical content marketing thing in 2020, like tapping into like what are the topics our audience cares about, who is our audience, how can we rank an organic search for you know some of these some of these queries people are punching into Google with great you know great delightful content, and kind of start off the buying journey that way. So I think a really easy thing a content marketer can do in that in that scenario is go into Google search console and figure out what your brand queries are. So figure out like what people are typing in to get to your landing page. Right. And a lot of it's going to be like, you know, if you're Jira, people are typing in Jira, like, or Jira software. So like, that's going to, those are going to be the main ones. Those like core brand queries, look at the long tail brand queries. You'll see things like, are a lot of people looking into Jira examples or Jira tutorials or, you know, your product brand plus guides or alternatives or something like that, where it's just like, what are the other things people are looking for around your product on Google specific? And maybe like, maybe they are getting to your landing page, but like that intent isn't really being served right now. Right. Like if someone's looking for, Jira workflow examples or like your product name, you know, workflow examples. And they're just like landing on your vanilla homepage. Like that's not exactly like giving them what they're looking for. Right. And what's great about, you know, if you are showing up for those queries and people are actually typing them in, what's great is like, you can actually see the real data on that through Google search console. Like you're not just sort of like guessing through some of the SEO keyword planning tools. Like You can actually see like very specifically, hey, like a thousand people or 480 people a month are looking for our product name plus examples or plus tutorials. And we really don't have anything just for them, right? We're just sort of like shuffling them right onto our homepage and hoping them or case studies or, you know, competitor content or something like that. Right. We're just sort of shuffling them over to our homepage or maybe to our blog or to some other top of funnel blog content let's do like a piece on that. And the great thing with that kind of content is like the number one thing you already are an expert on in Google's eyes is your product and your company. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. Like if you're Jira, you are the authoritative website on Jira. Like you are the authoritative, you have the authoritative website on Superpath, 
right? So like, it doesn't take very long for Google to triangulate that data and say like, hey, when Jimmy Daly writes about Superbath on the Superbath website, <laughs> he's the go-to guy, <laughs> right? <laughs> so right. Like, you can pretty quickly like blitz the search results of all these brand search queries where folks are like, yeah, they're looking for content. Maybe they're just like starting off a buyer journey, but it's something that typical content marketers might not think of if they're too deep in this product agnostic ethos and is like a great way to expand your product skills and, and show value to the product team in the business. Right. You know, sorry, this is a very like random quick aside. <laughs> a couple of years ago, the folks at Zendesk noticed that a lot of people were searching for Zendesk alternative. Oh yeah. And somebody within the company was like, hey, that sounds kind of like a rock band. I know exactly where you're going. Yeah. It's so funny. I don't know if the page is still up. It's worth looking at. They like got some people at the company who were musicians. They made a music video. They did this whole thing around like Zendesk alternative, the rock band. It was pretty funny. I think that's, and it still shows up for Zendesk alternative. And I think that, uh, yeah, that's so great. Anyone should check that out. Yeah. That's like an infamous thing in, in SEO world where folks are just like, Everyone knows it's cool and everyone's sort of like bummed that they didn't think of it <laughs> because it's just like, yeah, yeah. It could have worked for anyone. That's one of those things that like you can do once, like one person can get to that idea and, <laughs> and do that. And then like anyone else who tries to would just be, would just be corny. But yeah, I think that's so funny. Totally. I get so jealous when I hear of things like that. I'm like, God, I wish I thought of that. Like there was the TripAdvisor folks, they probably still do this in their robots.txt pages. Uh-huh. Hidden on that page, there's a like a job listing for oh sure SEO people. You know, it's like gah. I mean, that could be reused. I don't know what like timeless evergreen uh, takeaway there is from these things, but like just sort of fun, creative marketing flexing. Some of these things are like technically hacks, but sort of like transcends <laughs> transcend in this like being actually valuable, but also like the minute you try to like copy it you're just corny like yeah yeah totally it belongs to them yeah right so so what about like what should i have done at quickbooks when i was working on a content team of i don't know there's probably seven or eight of us and the marketing org was just so large that i didn't even really know what mm. the product team was doing or who was on it or yeah i assume there was probably someone thinking about things probably very similar to what i was working on and i should have connected and figured out how we could help each other out like Curious if you have any thoughts on on that for the person on the other end on, at the huge company. Yeah, I mean, I would try to try to figure out what the product roadmap is. Like that will will and should be like a pretty documented, you know, established thing at, at any company with a mature product team. Is like they're going to have some roadmap, some understanding of like, hey, here are the here are the big sort of moments we're shipping to the product over the next you know year or so, and especially with like cloud and SaaS tools, like updates to the product don't have to be all bunched up into one big server release that can happen throughout the year. Um, so a lot of like, you know, especially like agile SaaS teams are, are shipping updates to their products kind of continuously, but they're still doing like kind of bigger launches, bigger product mo moments, bigger, bigger marketing moments. So the team launching those new features and updates to the products is probably working alongside product marketers to like take those launches to market to announce them. That's going to be a core part of what product marketers are doing. And as a content marketer, I think there's a ton of value you can add to, you know, what's that moment when 
product marketers are taking taking these new features and products to market and helping understand what moment in the market they're trying to create and then sort of thinking through like okay if we plan ahead and work together like we can we can do some content marketing alongside this and it might be you know your quickbooks and there's a new there's a new feature i I don't know how QuickBooks <laughs> how it works. I'm sorry, but like maybe there's there's a new feature around you know like around tax accounting, and it's going to be a big product moment. This this new feature around tax accounting. It's like okay, well like let's think of that as a topic and see what you know what content we have there, or what content we can create that kind of rounds out this marketing moment. So while we're talking about our new product or our new feature, we can sort of back that up with best practices content some of the more tips and tricks that uh, style content that that content marketers are more used to, too. Right, right. How much writing do you do these days? And do you feel that it is maybe more, more or less or equivalent than if you were, had you stayed the content route and were at sort of the same point in your career? Yeah, I think, con- I think product marketers do there might be a smaller volume of like words on page. And I don't mean to say they're more important, but like you might like a common thing for product marketers to own is what's called a message house. And that's usually like some internal document that's sort of like, here is like the, here's like our internally like documented, whether it's a product or a feature or a family of products, how we talk about it. What are the top three value props? What order do we like to talk about them in? You know, what is the, what are the top three features? If someone asks about this product, like what are the first couple of things we talk about? So that's usually an internal document, but the idea is that like anyone should be able to go into that and say like, okay, like I need like ad copy language or I need like to spin off ad copy language. Like, cool. I know how to talk about this feature or like I need to, you know, we're doing a billboard and we want it to be a little more high level, but we want it to still be on message for the product. So let me go into this message house document and sort of be sure that our, our copy for this particular campaign triangulates with our core story that we've decided on. So the sort of work you do there is like, I think some of the most important like written word work that a product marketer can do. It's definitely like a living document. There's not like a new version of it every week, but it sort of adjusts through time as you grow your understanding of the product and as the product evolves. Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, when I think about it, the impact per word of a content marketer is probably going to be very low because, I mean, in some cases, there's actually an emphasis on creating just really long stuff, which probably by definition means the value per word is lower. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. Like I, I could imagine content folks out there getting a little tired of that, you know, and wanting to have more impact Per word, like maybe that's not the that, that's sort of a funny way to look at that metric, but uh, I feel like there's really something there where like when the words really matter, a lot of attention and detail goes into figuring out what they are. Yeah, and it's more like maybe as a content marketer, you have more of just this like linear, you know, for lack of a better term, this sort of like linear trough or ladder of content where it's like maybe it's all kind of equally spaced out and it's all kind of equally valuable. It's like doing a newspaper, like over 365 days, like there's a lot of it. And product marketing, the writing you do winds up being more like, more like a hierarchy where it's like, there's a homepage of like 
the main stuff that we really need to think about and care about. And then there's like these couple categories of things under that. And maybe there's a little bit less in each of those, but then maybe each of those has their own sort of like subcategories. So you get more of this sort of like nested web page file tree of content, which you kind of have to own and iterate on mm-hmm. when you can sort of, you should always be able to sort of like breadcrumb your way back up to the foundational stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, okay, this is, this is random, but I think I can, I think I can bring it back to have it make sense. <laughs> you know, when you like discover a new hobby and it's so much fun when you kind of, you have the, the moment of realization that they're like, there's so much here and I'm so excited to dive into it. Like I remember when I discovered the guitar when I was like 14 and then I was like noodling around with it. And then one day it like clicked, like, it's amazing how deep you could go on this one thing. And when I had the same realization with content marketing after like sort of wondering like, could I make a living writing? Maybe I could write emails. Maybe I could could sort of dabbled in a few different things. And then one day someone was like, oh, it's content marketing. And then when I like dove in, I was like, wow, this is amazing. I'm kind of having that same realization right now with product that there's just, or product marketing specifically. Yeah. There's just such an enormous ecosystem of stuff happening that I don't, really have much insight into yet. Yeah. And it, it is amazing. I remember one of the first sort of realizations around this I had as a, as a content marketer and it was, you know, so I was the first and only marketing hire at status page. So you wind up wearing a lot of hats. And I remember we had, there was an event that we were having a booth at. So a lot of marketers out there, maybe content marketers haven't been to these before, but you know, there will be these like industry or company events. And it's sort of a, big marketing channel where your company can go rent a booth and talk to people at this event. And, you know, ideally they're all in your market. So there was this developer tools event in Denver and the founders were like, Hey, we need, we need some help with this booth. Come along. And what happens at these events is like, you wind up just standing on your feet for, you know, behind some folding table with like your company logo and some swag for 10, 12 hours a day, just having conversation after conversation with, folks who are in your market, like they're potential customers. Some of them actually might be customers and and that's cool to have those conversations too, but they come up to you and maybe they've never even heard of your company, but it's, it's really quickly. Like, tell me what you guys do. You know, it's not tell me your 12 tips for meetings or, you know, like (laughs) they were just like four seconds ago. I didn't know status page existed. Now I'm standing here talking to you. Tell me what you do. Cause there's a hundred booths like you today. And uh, yeah, I want to quickly figure out what's going on with you guys. And man, that was, it was such a revelation to just have like conversation after conversation with people over and over and over. And since I've like always jumped at the chance to go staff events like this, because it's tough on your, <laughs> it's sort of tough on your body, but it's like going to the gym for a product marketer because you, <laughs> the way you can see like, Oh, just these little twists and turns in the way I'm talking about what we're doing, how big of an effect that has and how, if I talk about, if I tell you what we do and I use this language instead of that, or if I talk about this feature before explaining the context of this other thing, you can like, you know, you're 12 inches from someone's face and like, you can see when they, when their eyes light up, you can see when they're drifting off, you can see when their eyes wander over to the other booth and they're like, okay, you're losing me here. Just in these like little nuanced ways, you like describe your product and, and talk about what you do. And like, there's this whole world of, of sort of like AB testing your messaging on the fly like that. Like I had no idea it had such an impact like that. And when you have that experience face to face, 
like that, then you you really see like, okay, like the the H one you put on your homepage is not just is not just filler words. Like there can be such impact behind how you message. Like that was a big realization for me. Yeah. I can't believe I'm going to talk about this on another podcast, but I, I'm like a stand-up comedian who, who desperately needs new material. <laughs> but that was kind of the realization I had when I started doing sales was like, I finally had like the face-to-face interactions with prospective customers. I was like, I've been doing this all wrong <laughs> for years. <laughs> There's so much I didn't know. Yeah, I think content marketers, I don't know if this is unique to content marketers, but I think that we have a, a tendency to stay inside the the content cocoon, this, this warm, fuzzy place where like, you don't have to talk to like real customers. <laughs> yeah. That's an amazing, that's an amazing piece of advice too. I'm glad you broke that up. I think like, that's like a really baked in thing for product marketers just to, like sit in on sales calls or to like listen to sales call recordings, like, especially on the content side too. Like, I think if you're a content marketer and you want to add more value to, to your team or, you know, you don't have, you know, you're trying to help out on the product marketing side, like, and you're lucky enough to have a sales team or have some, wherever folks are having conversations with customers, maybe you don't have a sales team, maybe it's the founders, maybe it's customer success, whatever it is, like, man, sitting on those calls, because like you just said, like, you're going to realize real quick, like, oh, maybe I'm writing about the wrong stuff. Like, what is, you know, what are all these questions people have that somehow aren't being served right now? Like, yeah, that's product marketing for sure. That's really cool. That's really cool. I feel like maybe that's a good place to put a bow on this. I think that we could probably go pretty deep on product stuff. And I hope that for folks, one of the things that I try to do this podcast is just try to give content marketers some ideas of of directions their, their career could potentially take. And you're the first one that we've talked to that went into, stayed within marketing, but just went into a different type of marketing. And I'm hoping to bring in folks who have maybe gone on to you know, email or events or copywriting or kind of other things that exist within this, you know, this kind of same world, but it's, it's awesome. I appreciate you taking the time to walk us through it. It's been great to be here. Thanks for having me. Where can folks find you? Probably easiest places on Twitter. I'm at Blake Thorne. So yeah, come say hi and um, shoot me a message if you want to chat. Cool. I will obviously make sure I link to that. I will also link to your, the post that you just put up on Medium and your Medium publication. Blake, really appreciate it, man. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Take care.